Colossians chapter 2. Real quick, before I forget, uh, graduates, uh, they wanted to get a picture of you guys. So after church, if you can run back up here and they can grab a picture. So, Alrighty, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be finishing up here at Colossians 2. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of the CD or get a chance to listen to it online because it really was an introduction to what we're going to talk about here today because we're going to kind of feel like we're almost picking it up right in the middle of it because we are. Uh, The point of last week was, obviously, as we've gone through Colossians here, the foundation and the focus being on Christ. You've heard that every single week, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Is that supposed to remind us everything we do has to be with Christ. And so we went through from verse 11 on about how it's through Christ we're saved and how we need to cut off the old flesh that brings us down. We need to die to ourselves. We need to be born again, become a new person in the Lord. And then we went into, as this happens, legalism sometimes sets in. And that was kind of the introduction to what we went through. Now, obviously, we spent a lot more time than what I just did there in 30 seconds. But we left off last week around verse 17. And we talked about legalism, about being judged in food and drink and moon, moon, Sabbath, etc., as it says there in Colossians 2. So with that idea of what we're going to get into today, there are still two more categories that we run into. After we're saved, there was the idea of legalism. But then there's also this idea, if you will, of almost spiritualism. And there's this, also this last one of denial. And those are the two we're going to talk about today. And what are we dealing with? We're dealing with the focus on Christ, not getting off track. I've seen a lot of good born-again believers get caught up in legalism. They get off track of who Jesus is. I see a lot of Christians get caught up in the spiritualism and off track of Jesus. And I get a lot of Christians caught up in denial instead of focusing on Christ. And we'll talk about each one of those as we get into it. So first one here is picking up verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Now that's a great verse there. Because what that verse is saying is, you can get caught up in the spiritualism of things and get your eyes off Christ. Now, there's a balance that has to be found here. Because I've run into some Christians that there is no spiritual element to their walk at all. And the verse I think of is in 1 Thessalonians there, uh, chapter 5, where it talks about do not quench the Spirit. And you have to have an understanding of the role of who the Holy Spirit is and what role He plays in your life, how He empowers you, directs you, guides you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There needs to be an understanding of that, because if not, you're quenching the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. But then there's also the other element of it. I've run into Christians that are so, what I say, quote-unquote spiritual, they have lost that focus on the inherency of God's Word and God's Word leading them and guiding them. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we're supposed to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Each place has its point, and the key thing there is what? Balance. There's a balance in understanding the spiritual side of things. There's also the balance of making sure everything lines up with God's word. And that's what happens. And we need to make sure that we reach that balance because sometimes what happens is you can become so, and don't hear what I'm not saying, so focused on the word that you lose that flowing and leading and guiding of the spirit. There's a lot of times out here at church where it's just like, you know what, that's something we've got to do. The Lord's just leading, we've got to do it. 
you know, it doesn't go against scriptures, but it may not make perfect sense, but hey, we just got to go where that Lord's leading. And there's other times, too, where someone comes with an idea or a direction they want to take the church, and you stop and you say, wait a second, that, that doesn't line up with scriptures. And it happens a lot. I had one a few years ago. There was a guy that came to me, and um, I, I've shared this story with before, so forgive me for the repetition, but we had a guy that got saved, and uh, he started coming out here to harvest. Now, I only bring this up not to put down what happened there. I don't mean it that way, but to give you a little more background. This guy got saved, and he was uh, coming out of the Catholic Church. And so he came to harvest. And what happened was he was telling all his friends that he was going to this great church and that harvest that we were a Pentecostal church. Now, if anybody's ever been to a Pentecostal church, you know harvest is not a Pentecostal church. I'm not picking on anything. I'm just saying we're not. And I asked him, I said, well, why, why did you think we're a Pentecostal church? He goes, well, we clap during worship sometimes. And so from his mindset, that made it a Pentecostal church. So long story short, anyway, he, he was, it was telling this to some people, and this guy then called me up. And he said, well, I heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody type thing, and I like to come out to your church to share. And I said, okay, what, well, what would you like to come out and share? And he goes into this whole thing of, you know, the Lord's laid you on my heart. You know, you guys specifically. And, and that's not the first I've heard that. I had somebody call me one time from Georgia, from Atlanta, saying, God said that you're my church, and I need to come up and be the apostle to your church. And I said, well, and will you pay for the way for me to come up? That's, that's the catch to it. I was like, oh, if God's leading you, you get your own ticket. Um, Sundays, <laughs> Sundays at 10, if you get here, I'll say hi to you type thing. But the point is, this guy wanted to come out to the church, and he started getting this whole thing of what the Lord's led him and, and what the Lord's revealed to him. And once again, I want to make this clear, clear. I believe in all that. I believe the Lord can speak through a lot of different things. The Bible makes it clear the Lord can speak through dreams and visions and the Word and the Spirit and, and a lot of things. I don't want to quench that in any way. But what happens is you have to get down to the source of it. Okay, so this guy's telling me everything that the Lord's leading him, everything the Lord's revealed to him, every vision, every dream. So what's the point? The point is he wants to come and collect money, and then he gets a cut of it. That was the point. And then what, I said, well, what do we as a church get out of it? Well, the church gets the blessing of giving to him, is what the church got out of it. And he said the last church he went to, the pastor got a new car. So he says, you could come, and you go, you let me come. He goes, I can guarantee the church will be so overwhelmed with what I'm going to present to them that they will give all this money and they were going to want to bless you, Pastor, with a new car. Wouldn't you like a new car, is what he told me. Now, you hear that type of stuff and you say, wow, that sounds really spiritual. It sounds real. He's having the dreams, the visions, the Lord's leading. And if you look right this back in verse 18, look at what it says in here, in middle verse 18. Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, capital H, Christ. See, what happens is that guy had his focus off Christ. He had the spiritual background. He had all the wording, but he didn't have his focus on Christ. Christ. And that's what I'm trying to say here is balance. Because it's wrong to sit there and say, hey, I was praying the other day and the Lord revealed to me. What? The Lord revealed that to you? The Lord doesn't reveal anything except through his word. Wait a second. Don't quench the spirit. But at the same time, too, you can't go so far the other way where every single moment of the day God is doing some vision, some dream to reveal this, and next thing you know you're chasing things all over the place. There's the grounding of God's word, too. There's a balance here. And this is what Paul is trying to write to this church is, you know what, don't let this false humility, verse 18, worship of angels, 
And I have to throw out my little angel thing here. I have to do this. If you look in the Bible, there's only three angels mentioned by name. There's only three. Lucifer, Michael, and uh, Gabriel. Those are the only three angels mentioned by name. Now, the reason I bring this up is because you can go to any bookstore and find books on 365 angels, an angel a day. Now, where do they get that information from? I don't know, but it's not the Bible. And you know what? Generally speaking, nearly to a T, every time someone saw an angel in the Bible, what do they do? Pass out. Because it was so overwhelming to them. So what happens is, in this spiritual culture that we live in, people talk about angels and this, and God revealed this, and etc. I'm telling you right now, if the Lord wanted to come down in bodily form and reveal something to me, He'd have to pick me up off the ground. Not because I don't have faith, because I believe when you look in the Bible, sometimes it's so overwhelming when you're presented with a true aspect of heaven that our fleshly minds sometimes just can't handle it. And so what you see here is these people back 2,000 years ago had this false humility. Boy, I see that all the time. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm just a nobody. I'm just nothing. God has just blessed me with the right words to say. That false humility pride. That was happening 2,000 years ago. Worship of angels. We have the same spiritual thing going right now. Verse 18, intruding into those things which he has not seen. People getting caught up in the spiritual side of stuff. Verse 19, not holding fast to the head. Not holding fast to Christ. And you know, and that's the thing is, I'm going to make this clear and forgive me for the repetition. It's balance. Don't quench the spirit, but make sure we're staying focused on the word of God. Because you know what? This junk's out all over the place. I just wanted to share this with you real quick, and you guys may have heard this on the news or whatever, but um, I don't know if you heard, uh, there was that guy they found over in India that supposedly wasn't eating or drinking. Did you hear that? He's something called a breatharian, where he just lives off air. So I was fascinated by that. So I went, and there's a breatharian institute of America. I know, we're wasting time on a Sunday morning, but bear with me. The head of this is a guy by the name of Wiley Brocks. And this is what it has. This is his bio. I just want to share this with you real quick. He is the king of love and wisdom and the lord and master of the solar archangels. That's pretty good, I think. Um, he's been giving seminars and uh, teaching philosophy for 20 years. He was on the show That's Incredible back in 1981 because he could lift 1,100 pounds of weight. He only sleeps one to seven hours a week. He's 70 years old now can still lift between 600 to 900 pounds. And here's the point. Earth Prime is coming. It's located in the fifth world. And you can feel incredible love, peace, and joy in there. You just got to get there. And he'll show you how to get there for $10,000. Now, the reason I bring this up is this guy lives off air, supposedly. And this guy's a breatharian. He's the king of love and wisdom and lord and master of the solar archangels. The funny thing was, after he appeared on um, That's Incredible back in 1981, I'm reading this from a newspaper article. In 1983, same guy... This is, this is the guy that lives off air. He was allegedly observed leaving a Santa Cruz 7-Eleven with a Slurpee, hot dog, and Twinkies. Now, <laughs> the reason I bring that up, here's the head of the Breatharian Institute of America, and he's eating Slurpees, hot dogs, and Twinkies. Now, he said he's surrounded by junk culture and junk food, and so by consuming them, it adds balance. I, I've added a lot of balance to my life, and I'm really... <laughs> the, the point of it is, this is stupid, and that's not the point, but it is stupid. The point of it is, there are people out there paying $10,000 go meet with this guy one-on-one -on -one to find out how to get to the fifth dimension, to find out how to live on air, to find out how to do all this stuff. 
You know what we're dealing with? We're dealing with verse 18. False humility, vainly puffed up, that spiritualism that takes over. I would assume and hope that anybody with a half a brain would say, wait a second, for $10,000, you're going to tell me how to do this. I would hope that something in their brain, God-given common sense, would stop them to say, wait a second. But you know, the thing is, we as Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God lives in us. And we still get caught up in some of this stuff, don't we? See it on TV a lot. See it on the teachers, the pastors. And what would just happen is if we would just stop every now and then to say, okay, Lord, you lead me, you guide me, you direct me down the paths of righteousness and truth. Because so often as Christians, we jump into things. Hey, this guy sounds more spiritual than me. I've seen some of those people on TV and radio. They sound good. They, they run circles around me. They're just like, wow. You know, I prayed the other day and nothing happened. And next thing you know, you feel like I'm just this weakness of a man. And I'm obviously the Lord's not using me, the Lord's not guiding me. You, you know, a lot of you come up to me privately, confidentially, and say, James, I pray. I don't hear anything. You know, you talk about the Lord led you to do this. Or the, he goes, I, they go, I don't. Does that mean God's not speaking? No. We've got to be careful, though, sometimes that we don't get ourselves caught up in the spiritual side of stuff, that we lose the fact of, hey, our relationship with Christ is a long relationship. It's a loving relationship. It's a relationship where he can speak through prayer, he can speak through the word, speak through the message, speak through worship. He can speak through a lot of things. And we've got to be careful we don't get caught up in the spiritual side of things and the false humility. Because what does it say once again in verse 19? You're not holding fast to the head. See, when your focus is on Christ, it makes sense. See, if somebody comes up to me and says, James, what about this Wiley Brooks guy? Sounds good. No, I'm connected to the head, Jesus. Jesus says there's no fifth dimension. This guy's not the Lord of the archangels. Jesus isn't going to charge you $10,000 to find how to go to the fifth dimension. That's crazy. Now, how do we know that? Because we're connected to the head, Christ. And we know that if it doesn't line up with God's word, why are we believing in and listening to it? We know that that's not the nature of Jesus. See, that's the thing is when somebody comes to me and they talk about, hey, as a Christian, I'm going to go do this. And you stop and you say, wait a second, as a Christian, why, why are you doing that? That doesn't line up with the head. That's not what the nature of Jesus would want us to do. See, when you're connected to the head, you know where God's leading and you know what the Lord wants. The Bible makes it very clear in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. So that's the purpose of it, is you'll know where the Lord's leading through the Spirit and through prayer, and that's a promise. God is not going to leave you orphans, the Bible says. He'll lead you, he'll guide you, he'll direct you. A lot of times people come up to me and say, I'm so confused. First thing I think of is Corinthians where it says God is not a God of confusion. I know when I'm confused about something, that's usually God's way of saying, James, you need to stop, quiet the world, and spend some time talking to me and find out what I want you to do. Because look at verse 19 again. We're connected to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. That word grows is vital. As a Christian, you should be growing in your walk with the Lord. We gave a message a couple weeks ago, and one of the points that came out of it is, if you're saved, what has God saved you from? There should be a distinct difference between your old life and your new life. There should be a distinct difference between the Christian you are now and the Christian you were a year ago, because we're always growing in the Lord. Always growing in the Lord. You guys remember when you had little kids at home, you know, you talk about this idea of growing. 
Elias in this phase right now where every day he thinks he's bigger. Every day, Daddy, can you measure me? After every meal, I ate good body food. Did I grow? Now, for him, it's obviously easier to tell. We mark it on the wall, you know, that you can see how much he grows, etc. But the point is, his little mind works like this. There should be constant growth. Every time he goes to the doctor, he should be a little bigger. Every time this new season comes around, he should use bigger shoes. He's growing. The problem is sometimes as Christians, we get saved, and this idea of growth kind of goes out the window. I'm saved. That's great. You're saved. Now grow deeper. Now, we may not come right out and say it, but we think, oh, why do I need to grow deeper? I'm saved. I'm already in. What's the point? The point is that we want to be more and more like Christ. And the point is, the more we grow in the Lord, the deeper we go in the Lord, to be quite honest, the more peace, joy, love, and happiness there is in your life. That's just the truth. Don and I sometimes look at our lives and we say, okay, we got a lot of ups and downs in life. Can you imagine if we were trying to go through this without Christ? I was just talking to somebody recently, and this is a gal that uh, is kind of going backwards instead of forwards. And as you talk to her, you just realize joy's gone, love's gone, peace is gone. Why? She's not connected to the head anymore. And so therefore, she's not growing. And there's this lack of, of point and purpose in life. And you sit there and you say, wow, that's a body walking around without a head. And it <laughs> wasn't supposed to be funny, but I'm glad you found that funny. Point is, if you're not connected to the head, what are we doing? What are we doing? Let's move on there, because we've talked about the spiritual side of stuff. Let's move on to verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I can relate to this one. When I first got saved, I was a verse 21 guy. I was a do not guy. My walk with Christ became rules and regulations. And the whole idea of love and grace went out the window. I was so focused on, well, if you're a Christian, you only do Christian things. And so therefore, why are you doing that? Oh, you must not be a Christian. And I would go up to people and I would say, do you, are you a Christian? They would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'd say, oh, as a Christian, why are you listening to that type of music? You obviously are not a Christian. Didn't make a lot of friends. And, you know, the point is, I was in that do not. I had everything down to this black and white. And, you know, the thing is now when I meet somebody who's what I call a do not Christian, I just have to smile because I realize how big of a jerk I was you know, when I first got saved because it's tough. Now, the problem is some of you are thinking, okay, yeah, but there's certain things that are right and wrong. I agree with you 100%. And we've talked about that. We talked about that last week. There are certain things you do not bend on. Jesus is the only way. There's no bending on that. You know, the Bible being true, there's no bending on that. You know, there's even social issues, you know, marriage, man and a woman, abortion being wrong. Those things, as Christians, we don't say, well, you know, maybe we could go, no, those things are wrong. But what happens is now, and I could give you a whole list, and I could say once again, do you think it's wrong? And some of you would say, oh yeah, we could start a fight here real quick. We could divide the church up into easy groups on different subjects. And I'm not even going to throw them out there because I know how Satan does. I throw them out there. Next thing you know, you're driving home with your spouse. Well, what did you think of that? And you guys will have a fight over it. The point is, there are always going to be certain things that you feel very passionately about and very strongly about. And those things then for you are wrong. Don't do them. But here's the problem. Some of those things that are wrong for you, this is a hard one. 
may not be wrong for somebody else. And that's hard. And each situation, I believe, is unique and each situation is different. There are certain things for me, it's wrong for me to do. I know that. The Lord has said, James, that's wrong for you to do. Now, you guys may, can go out in the freedom of the Lord and do that, and it may not be a sinful thing, but God says, James, no, I don't want you to go down that path. Now, I'm not talking about the foundation of the faith. I'm not talking about having affairs. I'm not talking about cussing. I'm not talking about stuff like that. I'm not talking about those things are things where God says, no, that is wrong. But there's other issues that pop up. And what happens is there's this group that was living back there that were the do-nots. And their whole life was do-not. Now, what were they dealing with? Verse 21, they were dealing more with food things. You know, do not eat meat sacrificed idols. Do not eat unclean things. Do not do this. And the whole point of Colossians and Galatians, etc., is to say, you're born again, saved in Jesus Christ. So those rules and regulations have gone out the window. Verse 22, the commandments and doctrines of men. Boy, I tell you right now, I've shared with you before, i got a whole um, shelf on the bottom of my office, and I call it my heresy shelf. Anytime I find something that's just fascinatingly wrong, I stick it on that shelf. And I was going through my office the other day, and I was rereading through some of this stuff, and it is just fascinating. You run into some of this stuff, and they're the do-not people. All these things, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and you stop and you look, and some of them, there is no scriptural background for it. Some of it, there's a scriptural background, and it's totally twisted. But the problem is, verse 23, they have an appearance of wisdom. See, sometimes those do-notters look pretty good. So you sit there and you say, wow, that, that, that person doesn't do that or does that, and well, you know, it looks like they got it together. And sometimes it's like a layer. You've got to scratch back those layers and say, okay, but what's the real heart behind it? Because look at the rest of verse 23. Self-imposed religion. I had self-imposed religion. Boy, when I first got saved, I had a lot of self-imposed religion. That this is what God wants me to do. This is what it is. I had all these rules and regulations. And I'm telling you right now, the first year I got saved, I'm not joking, I was not a lot of fun to be around. And I had a heart. I had a heart to see the world get saved, and I was going to shove it down people's throats. And looking back, my first year being saved, and I, and I remember distinctly, Jim, are you in here today? Yes, Jim. I remember distinctly, I put Jim on the spot. We were sitting at um, the White House by the bank, and I remember that you were talking to a guy as we were leaving, and I remember I came up behind you, and I remember you said, James, James recently just got saved, and you were talking to this guy, and you said, James, what do you think about being saved? And I gave the canned answer, oh, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. You know, Jesus is the most wonderful thing. And I remember walking out that day thinking, I really don't feel that way because I'm not having a whole lot of fun being a Christian. Because why? I was a 21. I was a do not. My whole life was full of rules and regulations and dotting I's and crossing T's. And I remember thinking, this is not being free from sin. I changed being free from sin to now being enslaved by rules and regulations. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. People hear something like this and say, well, then it doesn't matter. I can do whatever I want. Don't tell me not to. No, there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. There are certain things that are black, certain things that are white when it comes to certain things. But you've got to check yourself. I had, verse 23, an appearance of wisdom, but I also had self-imposed religion, and I also had false humility. Because I was the type of guy when I first got saved thinking, I wonder if anybody else got up earlier than I did to do devotions. I wonder if anybody's read more than me today. I wonder if anybody's prayed more than me today. I wonder if I remember going through discipleship with Richard. 
And we would have discipleship on Saturday. And he'd come up to me Wednesday, and Rich was the one that discipled me, and he'd be like, uh, did you get your discipleship done? Done? I'm ahead. You know? <laughs> I just love Jesus so much, I'm ahead. You know, and that false humility. And Rich probably looked at me and said, okay, what a dope. I don't know. But there was that false humility. And you know what? Neglect of the body. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to do that. But you know what? Look at the end of verse 23. No value against the indulgence of the flesh. I still say to this day, some of the quote-unquote worst things I've ever done happened after I got saved. Because what happened is I was doing all these things, 22, 21, 23, but I was not connected to the head the way I was supposed to. And you know what? I see that a lot today. I see somebody who is so smart that they have the false humility, they have the knowledge, they have the wisdom, they have the self-imposed religion, but they don't really have the relationship the way it's supposed to. And see, what happens is Paul is writing here saying, hey, be careful about this, guys. It goes back to what we talked about last week in verses 11 through 14. Jesus saved you. The old flesh has been cut off. You've been buried with Christ. You're free from sin. So don't jump into legalism. Don't jump into that vain spiritualism. And don't jump into that false humility of the do-nots. Paul says you're missing the point. The whole point, once again, is what? Verse 19. Are you connected to the head? Is it Christ? I remember once again, after I got saved, there were certain things that I I said that I'm never going to get rid of. And I remember... Uh, a gal coming up and saying something really smart and wise at the time. I remember her telling me, you know what? Don't worry about that stuff right now. In time, in time, you want to let go of those things. And that's the same thing I've told a lot of people as they come up and they say, well, you know, then I'll let him save. Do I need to quit doing this? Well, has the Lord led you to let go of it? He's led you to let go of it that you need to. But you know what? In time, a lot of those things that you think you can't let go of, you'll be able to let go of. Because as you go deeper in your walk with the Lord, the more you get connected to the head, verse 19, you're going to say, I, I don't want to do that stuff anymore. And that's the beauty of it. That is the absolute beauty of this. Now, turn, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5 to finish with. Galatians 5. Because here's the problem. That phrase, they are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, that's the thing. is You can set up all these rules and regulations and I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to do that. And the problem is, that's not going to keep you from sin. What keeps you from sin is going deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. You can set up all the rules and regulations you want and it won't do any good as you're going to Galatians 5. It reminds me of the passage in uh, Matthew 26 where the classic phrase, the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. See, that's become a phrase now even in popular culture. Even non-believers throw that around. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what's the point? In my heart, I want to do what's right, but in my flesh, I'm not doing it. You know, that phrase, the flesh is weak, literally means the flesh has no strength. That's what it literally means. It's not the flesh is weak. The flesh has no strength. There is no strength in you in any way whatsoever to do what's right. You can go a ways doing right, but you can't do it completely. Some of you may have had a problem with your tongue. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to gossip anymore. You can go a while that way. I'm not going to cuss anymore. You can go a while that way. The flesh has some merits in the sense of trying to do it. But when the push comes to shove, the flesh has no strength. You can't defeat sin through yourself. And we try to do it, don't we? We try to make rules and regulations and, and, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I've gone through those phases before. You know, I'm going to set my alarm at this time and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do devotions this long. I'm going to pray this long. I'm going to read this long. 
and it becomes a legalism. Or I'm going to do this and I'm not going to say that and it becomes a legalism because in my flesh I'm doing it. The flesh has no strength. See, Galatians actually sums this up better. And if you remember correctly, we went through this passage a couple weeks ago and we'll come back to it here. Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now how simple is that? You walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not that complicated. The deeper and the longer I go in my walk with Christ, those fleshly temptations and desires will start to dissipate. Now that doesn't mean that they're all going to disappear. As long as I still have flesh on these bones and until I am in heaven, there's always going to be sin and temptation. Richard Betts always likes to say we're battling three things. We're battling the world, we're battling Satan, and we're battling the flesh. It's a pretty bad combination. There are three things. You can hold yourself up from the world. And they used to do this hundreds of years ago. They had those Christian communes where, okay, we're not even going to associate with the world. Well, you still got the flesh. You still got Satan. And Jesus even went a step further and said, you know, if your hand offends thee, cut it off. Cut the flesh off, it's sinful. But his point was, you can cut your flesh off. I'll cut my hands off so my hands will never do anything sinful. I'll take my eyes out so I'll never do anything wrong by looking at things I shouldn't. Problem is, there's enough sin built up in my memory. I can flip through any image I want. There's still, my heart can be angry and sinful. I may not be able to strike somebody with my hand, but I can have anger in my heart. See, and that's the thing is, we're always going to be battling those three things, the enemy, the flesh, and the world. How do we win? Galatians 5.16, walk in the Spirit. Simple question to ask you, are you walking in the Spirit? Are you taking steps to go deeper in your relationship with Christ? Not because you have to, but because you want to. And as you go deeper in your walk with Christ, those fleshly things that you battle, they'll be easier to say no to. I'm not making a promise that all of a sudden that temptation is going to disappear. But it's easier to say no. Why? Look at verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's this ongoing battle beside me. And they are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. I bet you right now, verse 17, there's some of you that this week, you did something and you really didn't want to. You're having a conversation with somebody, you're like, don't get upset, don't get upset, don't get upset. And the next thing you know, you're upset. Or maybe you're like, okay, I see that, don't look, don't look, don't look. Okay, I'm looking. Now, are you wrong for that? Yeah, it's a sin. But the point is, verse 17, there's a part of you that says, I don't want to do this stuff. I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to say those things. I don't want to look at those things. I don't want to watch those things. I don't want to be that type of person. There's the spirit side of you saying, you want to be more like Christ. Well, there's the flesh side of you that says, yeah, but I like it. I was just reading in Hebrews this week that phrase, the passing pleasures of sin. Sin is pleasurable. If sin wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't want to do it. But the key word in that phrase is, it's a passing pleasure of sin. Whatever you glean from doing something wrong, there may be a mom, momentary moment of, oh, that felt good. But then there's going to be a lot of guilt, regret afterwards, and it's never worth it. Never worth it. So what are we supposed to do, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit? That's what we need to do. Be led by the Spirit. Jump down and field to verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. See, if we claim to be Christians, let's have our actions back that up in what we do and what we say. How do we do that? There's a personal time with that, a personal time of you and the Lord and prayer and the Word. 
If you don't have a good Bible, we'll get ones in your hands. Actually, Rose just told me today the new Our Daily Breads are back there. Great little day-to-day devotionals just to take you a little bit deeper in the Lord. We have small group studies out here that meet all the time for accountability. We have church. We have everything we can do to try to encourage you to go deeper in the Lord. But here's the problem. You have to want to, just like I have to want to. You can go to every Bible study, read every devotion, and do all the things, but if you really don't want to go deeper, you can't do anything about that. You have to decide you want to walk in the Spirit. And isn't verse 26 interesting? Right after he says walk in the Spirit, what's the next thing you say? Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Because isn't that what happens? As we go deeper in the Lord, I become conceited. I pray. I read. I study. I wonder if everybody else does. It becomes a pride. Well, and the problem is then if you are not praying, reading, and studying, then what happens? You envy, verse 26. You get frustrated at people because you look at them and they're talking about, well, I shared Christ with this person. Or I was reading in John this week and there's this great point and you sit there saying, I can't stand that person. Why? Because you're envious. They're going deeper and you know you should go deeper. And so what happens is, middle of the thing, verse 26, we provoke one another. Oh, I've been in Bible studies before. I've seen people and they're just provoking people left and right. They're sitting there and they'll be like, hey, Joe. What would you read this week? What the Lord revealed to you out of this passage? They're just provoking. And so it's interesting that Paul then continues to write, don't. As you go deeper in the Lord, don't get puffed up. Don't pick spiritual fights and don't start envying. Because you know why? Verse 26, it is your personal walk with Jesus Christ. There is always going to be a Christian that is deeper spiritual than you. So he's going to be a Christian that's not as deep as you. And the whole point is, you know what? If there's somebody not as deep as you in their walk with the Lord, you're supposed to say, hey, what can I do to help them go deeper? And if there's somebody who's deeper in their walk, you're supposed to say, hey, what can I glean from their walk with Christ to help me go deeper? We're all on the same team. And that's the point is, we do that with our kids. Kenan right now has a couple steps at our house. It's hard for him to go down. So what do we always say, Elias? Grab your brother's hand as he goes down the steps. Kenan needs help. Does Kenan want that help? Honestly, sometimes Kenan doesn't. But if Kenan doesn't grab Elias' hand, Kenan is going to go head over heels. Some of you are saying, I don't need any help. That's pride. You need help. You need help to go deeper in the Lord. And some of you are trying to stick your hand out to everybody. (laughs) Not everybody wants your help. It's that balance again of, okay, Lord, who can I minister to? Lord, who can minister to me? Lord, who can I help go deeper in the Lord? Lord, Who can help me go deeper in the Lord? Who do I have to humble myself to go to them and say, I need prayer? Who can I go to and say, hey, I see you struggling, or hey, what can I do to encourage you? That's the body of Christ connected to the head, growing and going deeper. goes back to that first word we focused on today. We're supposed to grow. Grow in our walk with the Lord and going deeper in Him. The praise team has come forward here for the final song. With that being said, we get to go in some great stuff next week in chapter 3 about that heavenly perspective now.